Today is April 3rd, 2021. This is episode 116 of Back to Normal. So let's get started. Okay, in this episode, we are going to be talking all about COVID vaccines because there's just been so much news in the last week. Well, maybe not just last week, but there's been so much news over the last, I guess, week or two that it just felt like I couldn't not talk about it this time. And um, I want to give a, a brief life update, which is to say that um, on Thursday, my mother-in-law got vaccine, which feels like every time I think about it, I'm like, this, this, it's surreal that we're actually here. Um, and my dad is scheduled to get it uh, on April 10th. And I think he's, he's in Alberta. Um, I think they were booking appointments further out because he actually got his appointment about a week earlier. Um, but it ended up that he's not getting it until um, like a week later. So uh, things are moving. Things are actually happening. And um, it's very exciting to think that we're actually at this point now in vaccine distribution. Um, the city of Toronto, which like kind of amazingly um, either seems to be getting more. I've been trying to think about this because the way the vaccine doses are supposed to be distributed is proportional to population. And so theoretically, especially in Ontario, because it's like the same group doing all of it um, in Ontario, you should be like it's what they've tried to do is open shots to um, right now it's 70 and above. If you're born, if you're 70 years old in 2021, um, you're eligible to book an appointment now. And I'm talking about the Pfizer vaccine. Um, but for some reason, the city of Toronto, whether it's just because they have a, a larger proportion of young people and a smaller proportion of older people, um, they have been ahead of the curve for some reason with giving uh, vaccines out to different age groups. And I mean, so yeah, the reason I just mentioned could be that they just their proportions of population who are the right age are smaller. Um, and so they can vaccinate the older people faster based on population, or they have more people who are vaccine hesitant and are not making appointments because while um, Ottawa is is fully entrenched in the, you know, vaccinate um, 70 or older, we've been doing that since Monday. Um, appointments at least have been since Monday. I think the first appointment was probably Wednesday. Um, Toronto has done the same thing about the previous Thursday or so, um, like three or four days earlier that they opened to 70. And they're now opening to 60 as of, I think, to maybe even today, um, which is just like that's immensely fast to go from 70 to 60 in like basically a week. And so it kind of makes me think, like it's got to be one of the two either they don't have as many older people which makes sense in a way because it's the city of toronto like it's determined by public health units um the city of toronto does probably skew younger compared to especially compared to a place like ottawa um but it is still like it's still interesting to think about um, my hope because this is what happened last week was that um the city of toronto we heard was going from age 70 uh, five is the cutoff to age 70 is the cutoff and they did that on like like i said thursday or friday last week and then the following monday so three or four days later ottawa did it and so i'm hoping that we're in the same position because ottawa just opened up a bunch of vaccine slots for another two weeks worth and i'm hoping that um 
you can they're going to be able to do that in Ottawa, like open down to 60 um, in, you know, another, let's say, um, like maybe three or four days. It might be more like a week, but like hopefully next week they would go down to 60. And because um, because there are people now in uh, Ottawa starting to get the AstraZeneca vaccine, if you're 60 or actually, no, they went down to 55 or older um, for AstraZeneca now, because that's kind of the blanket recommendation is um, over 55, just because of this whole blood clot thing, which I do want to talk about a bit later. Um, maybe I won't this week, but um, yeah. So the idea here is that things are accelerating quickly because now there's multiple venues, and multiple ways that these these quote unquote younger people, these kind of 55 to 70 year olds can get um multiple vaccines they can either go to a pharmacy or go to the one of these mass distribution sites people are now able to in a way shop for vaccines the one that gets the one that they can get the fastest or the one that they specifically want because they're worried about something to do with one of the other ones um it's really hard to track vaccine misinformation versus like actual reasons to vaccine shop um but so far the only one that i've actually seen that seems to have any kind of scientific basis is this AstraZeneca one, which is causing blood clots. Um, although it's it, like, there's a whole bunch more research that needs to be done, but it seems like it's not actually like, it's not an ingredient in the vaccine. It's your body's immune reaction to the vaccine. Um, so it's unclear if that means like, it's kind of, it's, it's obviously not giving you the virus, but it's doing some kind of thing with your immune system that is like pushing it into overdrive a little bit. It's, it's really hard to, to kind of parse out, but I think we're not going to really know um, what's going on with the vaccine until, you know, quite a bit later. But it does seem like um, with the AstraZeneca vaccine, now that they know about this, they've got their they can start thinking about potential treatments and basically say, if you get the AstraZeneca vaccine, if you get X or Y symptom, go present yourself to like emergency or whatever for treatment, because the treatment for what it with this this side effect of the AstraZeneca vaccine that it seems like it has um, is easily treatable. And so I'm hoping that that just kind of goes away, but I mean, obviously it, this stuff is so complicated and it's so rare that it's hard to even track and like it hasn't happened to anybody in Canada. So when we've given out hundreds of thousands of doses of this now, so like, honestly, who can really say, um, there is this whole thing about, um, you know, AstraZeneca having a slightly lower efficacy, like 78% versus like a 90 plus percent from Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. That might just be a result of timing of vaccines. I'm actually, I might as well. I'm going to include a link to an excellent Vox video talking about efficacy and basically how um, vaccine efficiencies, the only way you can really calculate it is based on, um, is based on the information you have. But try like, if your vaccine is 100% effective, you basically might not be testing what you think you're testing. Because if the, it's like saying, um, if you have a COVID vaccine, but none of your population, like if you try to do it in New Zealand, none of your population has COVID. Um, if one person who is, isn't vaccinated gets sick, then you have 100% efficacy in your vaccine. Like it, you need a certain threshold of, um, of people who have the vaccine and a threshold of people who have the virus in your population in order for any of the kind of tests you want to do of efficacy to make sense. And the numbers of cases of COVID were very different when uh, Moderna and Pfizer were doing their tests versus when AstraZeneca was doing its tests. And so um, there's this whole talk about efficacy, which I think is just kind of really flawed. 
And this Vox video explains it really, really well about why these differences might be and why they're kind of useless in terms of deciding, hey, should I get this vaccine or this vaccine? Um, because they're all good for different reasons and they're all protective completely against severe illness so far. The only the only issue that I've seen um, again with that is AstraZeneca seems to not protect as well against getting one of the South African variant of COVID. And as far as that, it still seems like everything based on everything I've read, that it's still protective against severe symptoms or hospitalization or death from it. It just doesn't protect you from getting the actual virus itself, which kind of makes sense in a way that it's that variants would start to do that. Um, honestly, I really wish we'd controlled this better because we'd have so many fewer variants if there were so many fewer opportunities for the virus to spread. But anyways, um, the last thing, the kind of last thing I wanted to talk about today um, was this idea that perhaps I don't, it seems like lots of places in Canada are doing it this way. Um, but basically, a lot of the rollout that we've done uh, started and this is great, started with um, basically first responders. So police, um, emergency like EMTs, um, doctors, nurses, all that kind of stuff. And as they were doing that, they were also doing kind of the oldest people in long-term care homes, which is great. Like rolling out the vaccine based on your lifestyle, like where you live and how you live versus how old you are. Um, and the example that I saw there was um, now that we've moved past that phase, we're, we're fully into basically just the oldest people until we get to, I think the age threshold is 55 and how silly it is. Um, the extreme example that was used was why is a 55-year-old accountant who works from home full-time um, getting the vaccine dose before a 35-year-old or 40-year-old who works at the grocery store as a um, like grocery checker and is forced to be dealing with hundreds, thousands, potentially, of people in a given week? Um, like, why is that prior? Why are they prioritized? Why is this accountant prioritized who's just sitting at home? Like, obviously, we all want the vaccine. Like eventually we're all going to get it. So we're really just talking about this interim time. And it's not like the person working at the grocery store um, has somehow less exposure than the accountant. Like we just we know that that's not the case. Um, and so I find it. Yeah, like the rollout honestly seems like it should be based on fully on lifestyle and have almost nothing to do with age. Now that we've done like, again, long term care homes versus old people who are living in, in their own homes on their own. I think there's a benefit to doing both of those types of uh, living situations, vaccinating both pe people in both of those life, uh, living situations. But once you get past the basically like 80 and above, I think that argument kind of loses steam because um, people are a lot more mobile. People have a lot more ability to, to um, you know, protect themselves in that kind of middle-aged, like slightly older, but middle-aged group. Um, that being said, like, just in case you think this is somehow self-serving, I honestly think that this means that like I as much as I am at risk because I have a health condition that um, potentially puts me more at risk. I don't think I need the vaccine before anybody who works who has to work outside their house. Um, like we're not think society is not getting back to normal until we like hit herd immunity and we can be sure that it actually reduces transmission and then it actually starts reducing transmission. Like we're still potentially months away from that. And so it's not like I'm going to, once I get the vaccine, I can go and party. 
Like that's, <laughs> and I'm working from home full time. I've been working from home full time for over a year now. And like, it's fine. I'm not itching to get back into the office full time right now. There's no reason for it. Um, yeah, I can wait. Like basically as much as I would love to get one, like I'll get one if I'm offered one right away, but I can wait and I shouldn't be getting one before any grocery store workers, before any um, like Amazon distribution center workers, meat packing plants, um, like farm workers, anything like that. Anything where you are forced to, as a na in the nature of your job, forced to be interacting with lots of people. And honestly, any people, because we are fully isolated. The only reason that we want a vaccine is to be able to go to the mall and uh, see our friends and hang out with our neighbors who just moved in and who have young children. Like that's what we want the vaccine for. We want to resume our normal lives, but we are not being um, we are not being physically affected um, in the course of our work, like having an actual reason to leave the house and all that kind of stuff. We don't need we don't need it pri uh, prioritarily other than the fact that there's a chance we could get it. and There's a chance we could get really sick, but everyone has that chance. Um, we're not special in that way. Um, so the one thing that I've been thinking a lot about, like a lot, a lot about um, is how vaccine distribution could go easier. And I think they were probably doing this like with long term care homes. They did this again. And with uh, I would assume medical workers, um, healthcare workers, I would assume that they are taking they were taking doses of the vaccine to those like to clinics, to hospitals, whatever, and getting people vaccinated there. Honestly, the the same thing should be happening with, for example, teachers. Teachers should be prioritized right up there with grocery store workers. They're forced to be in the classroom. Um, yeah, they're they're in close proximity with lots of students from lots of different families. Um, but vaccines, unless there is one that needs ultra cold storage and they can't figure out a way to to kind of distribute it um, properly in a short time frame, um, they should be sending vaccine doses to like if not if not the actual nurses themselves like i'm assuming they would send nurses themselves they should be sending them to grocery stores they should be sending them to um hospitals to vaccinate patients they should be sending them to schools to vaccinate teachers and i mean not quite students i guess because we're not at the approval stage yet but teachers should be getting them in their workplace um everybody who has a workplace that, that like construction sites could do it um i don't really understand why that's not happening like other than logistically it's just like with the ultra cold stuff it doesn't work but honestly like moderna just needs pretty cold like freezer uh, temperatures um astrazeneca doesn't need any cold storage particularly like it, i think it needs to be like mildly cold all this stuff um could have been and should be handled better and like honestly if you have for example if you have a medical condition at some point here they're going to open it up to people with like X list of medical conditions and then expand that list slowly, which I think, again, is good, like based on um, not just age, but like you have this thing so you can get it. Um, if they were able to just like <laughs> lots of people with chronic health conditions go to the hospital for regular checkups, what they should be doing, honestly, is using that network that already exists rather than saying like, oh, go to the portal and sign up as yourself, like with no no predetermined history, no nothing. Um, if you have a health condition, the, the clinic that you go to should have your name written on the list of all their patients and they can do vaccination distribution that way. I'm sure those, those people like that's how I can get a flu shot that way at the CF clinic and it works totally fine. Like the only reason, the only thing, reason this wouldn't work today probably is supply constraints. 
But honestly, eventually that's going to be not an issue. And this is, that's how they should do it. That this stuff is already set up to do it. I mean, you can do it with community health clinics. Um, well, again, when you don't have a supply constraint, when everyone can get vaccinated for the flu in like two or three weeks, because we just have millions of doses available because we can plan in advance and all that stuff. But um, like we we're almost on the threshold there of, of the fact that this targeted approach, um, getting vaccines to where they should be and having the people, the healthcare providers that already administer healthcare to people be the ones that give out the vaccine. And they're starting to do this with AstraZeneca. They're sending 11,000, I think, doses of AstraZeneca to doctor's offices to let doctors be the ones distributing and basically saying um, either wait for your doctor to call you to book an appointment or like call your family doctor and say, hey, do you have any doses? Can I get one? That's how it should be happening, honestly. So um, I'm really hoping that it's just like the drastic supply constraints right now that are causing this to not happen this way. But um, I guess we'll have to check it in a future episode. I'm going to leave it there for now. Thank you very much for listening. Um, it's been really fun talking about this. It's a very stressful thing to think about, but um, I'm really glad to see that we're on our way. And um, it's really great that the oldest of each of my um, like parent units are getting their vaccines now. Okay, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.